few years ago, I had the uh, great privilege of meeting two of my personal heroes of the faith, a man by the name of Steve Saint and a native Ecuadorian gentleman named Minkaya. And uh, if you're familiar with the story of the five American missionaries who were martyred in 1956 in the jungles of Ecuador, uh, Minkaya there on the bottom left is one of the Aka warriors, the Wadani Aka Indians, the word Aka means savages, uh, one of the Aka Indians who was involved in spearing to death those five American missionaries. And uh, here he is pictured with the son of one of those missionaries, a man named Steve Saint, who would uh, later go back into that very tribe that killed his father and be a part of sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a really powerful story of transformation, a story of the, the revolutionary love of Jesus Christ and what it can do in the lives of people when the gospel comes in and brings that transformation that's only found in, in Christ. I wanted to share for you uh, an obituary that Steve Saint wrote for Minkaya. Minkaya passed away uh, three years ago in 2020. And I wanted to just share some portions of the obituary that uh, his dear friend Steve wrote. He was born into a violent Stone Age culture in the Amazon rainforest of eastern Ecuador, South America. Minkaya, whose name means wasp, died April 28, 2020, at home in the tiny village of Sapino in na of natural causes related to old age. He was between 88 and 91 years of age. Minkaya is survived by his wife, Ompede, which means otter, 13 children, 50-some grandchildren, many, many great-grandchildren, and tens of thousands of people who saw him as proof of God's redeeming and transforming power. When Grandfather Minkaya, as we affectionately knew him, helped five other Wadani warriors spear my father, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Roger Udarian, and Ed McCauley to death on a river sandbar in 1956. There was no reason to believe anyone outside of his small clan and the five bereaved families would ever take note of that incident. Nevertheless, millions of people in North America and Europe followed radio news releases that five North American missionaries were missing in the Ecuadorian jungle. For most of a week, there was no word of their fate. When a search party finally found their five spear-riddled bodies, the question was asked, why? The term tragedy accompanied virtually every radio, newspaper, and magazine article as the news of these vicious and seemingly senseless killings spread. But 64 long years later, it seems clear that Genesis 50:20 was about to come true again. What man intended for evil... God meant for good. There's been no greater, no greater ambassador of this message than the life of Grandfather Wasp, this amazing jungle warrior who counted only up to 20 on his fingers and toes, personally impacted hundreds of thousands of people in audiences as large as 45,000. Minkaya's most frequent speaking theme was, we lived angry, hating and killing Anankwe, for no reason at all, until they brought us God's markings. Now those of us who walk God's trail live happily and in peace. Then he would often ask his audiences, how long did you have God's markings before you brought them to us? Maybe if we had known sooner that the creator did not see it well, that people should live angry, hating and killing for no reason, 
we could have walked God's trail sooner. I have known Micaiah since I was a little boy when he took me under his wing and had his sons teach me how to blow gun hunt. He was one of my dearest friends in the world. Yes, he killed my father, but he loved me and my family. One of my grandsons is named Micaiah. We will miss you, Maymay Micaiah, but we hold on to the certain hope that we will soon see you again. What an amazing story. Micaiah would often share in his speaking engagements with Steve Saint that before the gospel came to the Aka Indians, their tribe was on the verge of extinction. It was a tribe that was based solely on revenge and honor killing and retaliation. And as such, they were destroying one another with only a few hundred of their people left before the good news of the gospel came with its transforming influence. A culture of violence, murder, and revenge that was transformed by the revolutionary teachings of Jesus Christ. And friends, it's not just the Aka Indians. The impact of the revolutionary message of Jesus can be seen throughout history and all over the world. It was the revolutionary teachings of Jesus Christ that inspired Mohandas Gandhi to lead the nonviolent resistance to British colonialism in India and Martin Luther King Jr. to lead the peaceful protests of the civil rights movement in North America, and Pastor Christian Fuhrer in Germany to lead the prayer movement that brought down the Berlin Wall and ultimately the Soviet Union. And it was Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela in South Africa who led the peace and reconciliation movement following apartheid. And it was the evangelical church of Northern Ireland that influenced an end to the era known as the Troubles. And I could go on and on, friends, speaking of the many ways the teachings of Jesus Christ influenced humanity to peace and reconciliation and love for one's neighbor. Over the next two weeks together, we're going to dive deep into these revolutionary teachings of Jesus and the profound influence that they can make in our lives when we seek to live them out in obedience. Today, as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, we're going to look at one of our Lord's teachings that has been especially profound in its transformative impact on human relations. It's a teaching that directly challenges Jesus' people in their response to wrongs committed against them. In a world where vengeance and retaliation are so often the default to injury and insult, Jesus is going to point us to the way of the kingdom, a revolutionary vision for human relationships and radical love. Radical love that has the possibility to replace revenge and retaliation, a way of reconciliation. We're in Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 42. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screens behind me. Jesus is continuing here in our sixth antithesis, con contrasting the teachings of the Pharisees with Jesus' teachings about the heart of God's law for his people. We're in the fifth of these sixth antitheses this morning. Jesus continues here in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. 
But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need your help this morning as we look at these incredibly challenging teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would give us a spirit of humility and obedience as we both study your word and as we seek to apply these truths to our hearts. And Lord, we are grateful for the revolutionary teachings that you brought to this world, the transformative influence that they've had on this world. And Lord, we desire that that same transformative influence would take place in our lives, in our hearts, in our relationships. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate these truths, help me to communicate them clearly and faithfully. And again, Lord, humble us, give us obedience to receive what you would have us to learn today. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in Matthew 5, 38 through 42, we find one of the most revolutionary yet challenging teachings of our Lord. And it's challenging for two reasons. Number one, it's challenging because it's so unnatural. It, it totally goes against everything that we uh, experience in our fallen, sinful human natures. Right? When, when we are wronged, our sinful, fallen tendency is to seek revenge, retaliation, retribution. But, but these teachings are also challenging because they're so countercultural. They go against so much that is common in our society today. Just as an example, think about how many TV shows and movies that we so often watch are based wholly on themes of revenge and retaliation, right? I don't get mad, I get even. I'll be back, right? Like revenge and retaliation are at the heart of so much of what we absorb as a culture. Now, it's because of the challenging nature of Jesus' teaching here that people tend to make one of three mistakes when it comes to this passage. Some try and explain this teaching away. And in doing that, they end up neutering the Lord's message of its power and impact on our lives. And then you have other people who embrace this passage legalistically, turning these teachings into absolute imperatives for all situations. And in doing that, what they end up doing is contradicting other teachings of Scripture and leading people into theological confusion and moral quandaries. And then you have a third camp which would simply give up on the Lord's teachings here altogether. They would say that these are unrealistic, they're impossible for anyone to truly obey, and so I'm just not even going to worry about them. Friends, I don't believe that any of these responses are what God intends for us as Jesus' people. And so we need to seek to understand the Lord's teachings here accurately and faithfully. To do this, we need to recognize the context in which the Lord gave these teachings. We also need to read and apply them in light of the rest of Scripture. For as 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
So again, to understand what our Lord is teaching us, we need to understand the context in which it was given, and we need to understand them in light of the rest of Scripture. So I want us to spend some time this morning considering our Lord's teaching and its revolutionary vision for human relations. The first thing that we need to recognize this morning is the Pharisees' revision. The Pharisees' revision. Remember, we find ourselves in the fifth of the six antitheses of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is contrasting the Pharisees' interpretation or, or application of God's law with his true depiction of God's law and what was at the heart of God's law. And so we've seen Jesus making this contrast in the issues of anger and lust and divorce and oath-taking. And again today, the fifth of these antitheses, this issue of retaliation or revenge. Now the whole passage that we read this morning, verses 38 through 42, rests upon a legal principle found in Scripture, a legal principle that has become one of the foundations of our Western jurisprudence or Western legal theory, a principle known as the lex talionis, which is the law of retribution or the law of the tooth. Now, this is a biblical principle. In fact, Jesus here in verse 38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Here, Jesus is quoting from three passages in the Old Testament law that the Pharisees and the Jews would have been familiar with. Okay? Jesus didn't have a problem with the lex talionis, as we're going to see. In fact, he actually affirms the lex talionis. It's taught in God's law, passages like Exodus 21 here, 23 through 25. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Leviticus 24 tells us, if anyone injures his neighbor as, has a, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. And then in Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 21, if a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So again, this law of retaliation, this law of the tooth, what we know as lex talionis, this was a biblical principle taught by God. And the lex talionis in scripture conveyed five important realities to God's people, five important principles that, again, are still found influencing our Western law even here in the United States today. What did we read in God's law about this principle eye for eye, tooth for tooth? Well, what we discover there in God's word are five things. Number one, this was given, this law was given in order to provide justice for the victim. 
God is concerned about those who are wronged. And God is a God of holiness, righteousness, and therefore justice. But at the same time, number two, God also wanted to make sure that excessive punishment was prohibited. In other words, the punishment should fit the crime. You can only provide a retribution that is in correspondence with the crime committed. You're not to go above and beyond that. Thirdly, the purpose of this law was to restrain evil in society. Remember in Deuteronomy 19 that we read, God says the whole purpose of this is that so this evil shall never be committed again in society. Right? We want to make sure that the punishment fits the crime for the purpose of deterring future similar crimes. But number four, this is important, and especially important for our passage this morning. Justice is to be carried out by the civil authorities. Deuteronomy 19, again, if you recall that verse, talks about the judges, right? The judges were the ones who were to decide the verdict and then to mete out the punishment, this is not about, point number five, personal revenge. God was forbidding personal revenge amongst his people. Now this gets us to the problem that Jesus was addressing here with the Pharisees, the Jewish religious teachers. Okay? The problem with the Pharisees is, as we have already seen so often in these antitheses that we've been studying, is that the Pharisees had completely perverted God's intention for the law. They had taken this law, which again is a good and just law, but in their revisionist matter, manner, they had begun interpreting this law as a matter of personal application. And by that, what I mean is that instead of this being a law that applied to the courts, the Pharisees had made it a matter of personal permission for exacting the maximum revenge possible under the law basically they had twisted God's law into allowing for personal retaliation okay you knock my tooth out I'm going to knock your tooth out you dent my car door I'm going to dent your car door right you foul me in the game I'm going to foul you back in the game right that's how the Pharisees had interpreted this principle they had made it a matter of personal retaliation okay if you're taking notes this morning, write that down because that's essential to understanding the context of Jesus' teaching. This passage is about personal revenge, personal retaliation. Now, of course, in interpreting this passage this way, not only were they violating the lex talionis, which was given specifically to forbid personal revenge, but they were also ignoring a whole host of other teachings in God's word that forbids taking revenge. For example, passages like Deuteronomy 32, 35, where the Lord says, it is mine to avenge, I shall repay. Or passages like Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Friends, God was opposed to his people taking vengeance into their own hands. That's a biblical truth. God was opposed, and still is to this day, opposed to his people taking vengeance into their own hands. And so this leads us this morning to this fifth antithesis here in the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And to point number two, Jesus' revolution. Jesus' revolution. 
What does Jesus say in response to this revision of the law by the Pharisees? Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus is doing two things. Number one, he's seeking to correct this revision of the Pharisees in regards to this law. And number two, he's taking us back to the true heart of God's law. Just like he did with murder and adultery and oaths, Jesus wants us to recognize the deeper meaning here in God's law. And yes, friends, God is a God of holiness, and his holiness demands justice. Justice is necessary in a fallen world. But God's greater priority, especially for his people, is love. Love. In fact, if you remember, when one of the Jewish teachers of the law came to Jesus later in his ministry and asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Right? Out of all the laws God's given us, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus answers with this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, all of the laws God gives us in Scripture hang on these two commands. They all fall under these two commands. You love God with your whole being, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else in the law holds to these two commands, falls under these two commands. Friends, the heart of God's law is love. And so, in applying this in our passage today, Jesus challenges us to move from the realm of retaliation, even when we've been wronged, and justice might be our right under the law, Jesus moves us to a position of non-retaliation for the sake of love. And he does that here in this contrast, this antithesis that we see in verses 38 and 39. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You've applied that as if it's your right, if somebody knocks out your tooth, to knock out their tooth. But I am telling you, do not resist the one who is evil. Who is the one who is evil that Jesus is talking about? He's talking about the one who has just personally wronged you. Okay, This is not a passage about Adolf Hitler. This is not a passage about the rapist or the abuser. This is not a passage about the home invader. This is about a person who has just wronged you personally. That is the evil one Jesus is talking about. And Jesus goes on to tell us here that we are not to take vengeance into our own hands when we are wronged. We are to respond in the way of love. Now again, Understand this very clearly. Jesus is not unconcerned with justice. Jesus is not unconcerned with matters of right and wrong. But for Jesus' people, we're called to entrust these matters into God's hands and into the hands of our authorities. This is why there are other scriptural commands given for governments and for courts and the military and police. 
Romans chapter 13 would be a good example of one of those passages, right? It's the authority's job to mete out justice. But when it comes to our personal relations as Jesus people, we are commanded to practice love. And to highlight this principle, Jesus gives us four illustrations here in our passage this morning. He gives us four illustrations encouraging us to choose love when it comes to those who have personally insulted us or wronged us. The one who is evil, remember? Do not respond, do not oppose the evil one. Who is the evil one? The evil one who is, is just the one who has just wronged you. And so Jesus gives us four illustrations. The first, verse 39, is in regards to personal insults. Jesus says, look it, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. In fact, he gets even more specific. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, friends, understand, in a culture, to be slapped on the right cheek means that this was a backhanded slap. Right? If I'm going to slap somebody, I'm going to slap them on the left side. Right? I'm right-handed. I'm going to slap them. I'm going to hit them in their left cheek. But to hit somebody on the right cheek means I have just given a backhanded slap. And in that culture, and even in the Middle East today and all over the world, a backhanded slap is an egregious insult. It's a demeaning insult. It's, it's a way of communicating to the other person that I don't think anything of you and I'm going to smack you across the face with the back of my hand. So Jesus here is talking about this kind of personal insult. And so when Jesus says, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the left also, he's talking about responding to personal insult. And Jesus says, look, if somebody insults you, you don't respond by hitting them back. You respond in love. Now understand, friends, this teaching is not about self-defense, and it's not about standing up for others who are being harmed. Okay, There are other biblical teachings that justify self-defense, that justify stepping in and stopping a violent attack on another person. Those are biblical truths that are good and right and just. This is not about that. This is about how we respond to personal insults. Now, some of you are thinking, well, look at Jason. I, I, I've never been slapped with somebody by, by somebody with the back of their hand, right? That's probably true. But what is the application for us? Let me put it into some common language for us today. You're a high school student playing basketball. And the opponent who's guarding you is just a terrible jerk. And the whole game is just fouling you and fouling you and just egregiously fouling you. How do you respond to that player? Do you run down to the other end of the court and foul him back? Or do you practice love? And keep playing to the best of your abilities without responding in kind, in revenge, in retaliation. You're a young person at school and you find out some of your friends are spreading insults about you. How do you respond? Do you respond by insulting them back, by spreading rumors about them? Or do you choose to respond in love? You're a businessman. And you open up the newspaper, the local newspaper, and you discover somebody's written a bad review about your business. Or you open up Yelp and you discover there's a whole bunch of bad customer reviews. How do you respond? 
Do you respond in anger and vengeance and retaliation? Or do you respond in love? Jesus is calling us to turn the other cheek, to respond not in vengeance, not in retaliation, but in love. He gives us a second illustration. He talks about lawsuits. He says, give your cloak as well. In the ancient world, people wore two garments. They wore a longer tunic, which was an inside kind of an undergarment, uh, an inner shirt, if you will. And then they wore an outer cloak, which is, was their primary coat that kept them warm. Now, in God's law, in the Old Testament, it said that you specifically could not take somebody's outer garment, their cloak. It was against the law to take somebody's outer cloak because people needed their outer cloak to keep warm at night. And so the law said, if you have to sue somebody and you are suing that person, and, and rightfully so, and you, take their, you can take their tunic, their inner garment, but you're not allowed to sue them for their coat because they need that to keep warm. Again, this was part of God's justice, right? There are times when justice needs to be meted out, but God's justice was always fair. So you can take the inner garment, but you can't take the outer garment. You have a right to the outer garment. Now, Jesus here, when he says to not only give your tunic, your inner garment, but give your cloak as well, what Jesus is saying is that we, as Jesus people, should be willing to sacrifice our own rights, even what is rightfully ours, for the cause of love. Somebody sues you for your inner tunic, you give them your outer garment as well. You give them the shirt off your back. You do it out of love. This isn't about seeking revenge or retaliation. All right? Now you might be thinking, well, Jason, I've never been sued. Certainly never been sued for my inner garment or my outer garment. How does this apply to us? Let me share a quick story with you. A few years ago, we had a couple brothers here from Lakes Free Church, two businessmen in our church who were in a legal dispute with each other. They had entered into a contract, uh, contractual agreement. One of these two brothers, both solid followers of Jesus, Christians, one of these brothers was claiming he had performed the duties, the work that was asked of him. The other brother was saying, no, I'm not satisfied with the work that was performed. I, I think more needs to be done. And they were in a legal dispute. And honestly, there was a lot of money at stake in this. And so these two brothers, they called me up and said, Jason, can you come and help us mediate this situation? And so I sat down with these two brothers in my office, and we sat and we talked, and we were going on back and forth for about an hour, and one guy was telling his side of the story, the other guy was telling his side of the story. And my friends, I tell you, these guys both had legitimate arguments. It, it truly was one of those situations where neither one of these guys was really in the wrong. But there was a legitimate dispute, and there was a lot of money at stake. And I remember as I'm listening to this, I was just praying to the Holy Spirit, please give me wisdom to help resolve this, because I don't know what to do here. And I remember it was incredible. As I prayed that prayer, it was almost instantaneously, all of a sudden, one of the men looked at the other guy and said, look it, I don't even care about the money. I just want our relationship to be right again. And then the other brother looked at him and said, that's all I want too. And these guys came together in love and they put the money to the side and said, let's forget about that and let's get our relationship with one another right again. That's what Jesus is talking about here, friends. Even when you have a right, you give up that right 
for the sake of love for the other person. Jesus gives us a third illustration. He talks about the situation of forced labor going the extra mile. In the Middle Eastern culture at this time, occupied by the Roman Empire, the Roman soldiers would often conscript citizens to carry their load, their burden for them. It was a legal principle in the Roman law that a soldier could take anybody off the street and say, look it, you're going to carry my pack for me for the next mile. They couldn't do more than a mile, but by Roman law, they could ask any citizen to stop what they were doing and carry their burden for them a full mile. Jesus says, look it, if you're asked to carry their burden for a mile, go the extra mile. Carry it a second mile. Why? Because that's how we respond in love. We are willing to demonstrate a radical love that goes beyond what's asked of us. Now, we don't have that kind of conscription today, right, where our soldiers or our police can come and just ask us to carry their burdens for them, right? But how does this apply to us today? Let me give you an illustration from my own life. When I was in high school and college, I worked at a grocery store back in Eden Prairie. One of my managers there was uh, just not a very nice guy. Uh, he wasn't a Christian. He knew I was a Christian. He knew I was going to a Christian college, that I wanted to go into ministry. And uh, because of that, he was often just demeaning to me and insulting and telling bad jokes. And he would often assign me menial tasks for no reason at all. Hey, Jason, go mop aisle eight. So what would I do? Trying to follow Jesus' teaching, I would go and I'd mop aisle eight. But I wouldn't just mop aisle eight, I would mop it, and then I would face all the products in aisle eight. Because I was seeking to go the extra mile out of love to demonstrate not retaliation, but love. And friends, I'll tell you, over the years with that manager, that made an impact on this guy. I don't know that he ever became a follower of Jesus, but he knew that the way I worked in that place, I worked the way I did because I did follow Jesus. And I sought to reach and respond in love. Jesus gives us a fourth illustration. Requests for aid. He says, do not refuse the one who begs from you. Now, friends, understand, this is not talking about the beggar on the street corner when you pull up to the red light who's got the sign and is asking you for money. That's not what this is about. Okay, Jesus is going to talk about those situations later in the Sermon on the Mount. But this, again, all falls under the context of personal retaliation, personal revenge. So who is the one begging from you here? This is a person who had previously wronged you, who is now in trouble and is coming to you for help. And Jesus is saying, look it, even though this person had previously wronged you, now they are in need and you don't retaliate, you don't seek revenge by saying, tough luck, buddy, go find help for yourself. No, you respond in love and you help this person in his need. I remember when I was in seminary, I was back in Eden Prairie visiting my mom's house and I was at uh, Eden Prairie Center, and I was driving through the parking lot, and I saw a guy with his hood up in his car. It was middle of winter. His hood was up, and uh, I thought, oh, maybe this guy needs help. So I pulled over, and I got out of my car to see if I could help this gentleman. Turns out the guy with his head under the hood trying to get his car started was a guy who was a bully at my high school, guy who was just mean and vindictive and went out of his way to get in fights for no reason at all. He had been a pain in the rear to a whole bunch of my friends. I mean, just not a good guy at all. What would I do? 
tough luck. I'm getting in my car driving away. No, I ran up and I introduced myself. I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I introduced myself and I said, hey, can I help you with your car? Turned out his car needed a jump start. We jumped his car, got him going again. All right, we started talking. I had an opportunity to tell him that I was in seminary, I was training to become a minister. Now, I don't know if any of that made a huge impact on him, but I pray it did. I pray he walked away from that thinking like, wow, why would that guy stop and help me like that, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. Even if somebody's previously wronged you, you don't respond in kind. You respond in love. Now again, friends, the fundamental point in all four of these examples is that Jesus' people should never seek vengeance and we should never try to get even when we've been wronged. Instead, Jesus calls us to practice radical, revolutionary, kingdom-oriented love. And if you've been paying attention this year, you'll recognize that this message is really nothing new. We've already seen this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Remember that word blessed means the favor of heaven. The smile of heaven rests upon the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The smile of heaven rests upon those who are persecuted for righteousness, like for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember, friends, God's smile falls upon Jesus' people when we live in the way of the kingdom. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Friends, our light never shines brighter than when we live out the revolutionary teachings of Jesus and his radical kingdom love. We respond not in revenge, not in retaliation, but we respond in love. Let me ask you, friends, what would it look like for you to apply these teachings to your life today? What would it look like for you to live out radical love? Maybe with your husband or your wife. Maybe with your brother or your sister. Maybe with the bully at school. Or your employer who is just on you day after day after day. What would it look like for you, instead of responding in vengeance, to seek to choose love? For that individual. Friends, the reality is this kind of love certainly isn't easy. And it's not something that we can produce in ourselves. And this is why point number three is so important. We need the gospel's renovation. We need the gospel's renovation. We can only love this way, friends, through the power of Jesus Christ. We can only love this way when Jesus has transformed our hearts by his love, so that we can live that love out with others. You, you can never do this on your own. You know that. I know that. Because our human nature is to seek revenge. Our human nature is to retaliate when we've been wronged. Jesus says, choose radical, revolutionary kingdom love. How do we do that? Jesus himself gives us his counsel in John chapter 15. He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Friends, our only hope of living out the radical teachings of Jesus is to enter into a personal relationship with him where he transforms our sinful hearts and then gives us his spirit so that we might live out his radical kingdom love in our lives. We have no other hope of living this way. It's only through Jesus that we can live this way and his transforming influence. And so when Jesus talks about, I'm the vine, you are the branches, he's talking about, look, you need to be grafted into me and abiding in me. I need to be as close to you as possible so that you can live out the life that I provide. Friends, have you ever noticed that? Like if you've been pruning, right? You're pruning a bush or a tree at your house. What happens if you prune off a branch? Does that branch go on to live and thrive? No, the branch is going to die, right? Why? Because it's been severed from its source of life. Jesus says, I'm your source of life. I'm the one who empowers you to live out this radical kingdom love. You can't do this on your own. And so abide in me, and I'll abide in you, and by my power, you can then live these teachings that I've given you. And so, friends, this morning, if you want to be a person of kingdom-oriented love, revolutionary love, we need to stay close to Jesus. We need to first and foremost make sure that he's living in our hearts in a personal relationship with him. And then we need to walk daily with him, walking with him, praying to him, studying his word, seeking his help, asking him, Lord, help me to love my wife that way. Help me to love that friend at school who's given me grief every day. Help me to love as I'm playing basketball. Help me to love at work when my coworkers or my boss are being a, a pain. Lord, help me to love like you would want me to love so that I can go out and make a difference for you. We need Jesus. Let's pray and ask God to help us in this area. And let's pray and commit ourselves again to seeking to abide in the vine. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for giving us this word. Jesus, we thank you for this teaching that <clears throat> is so very challenging and so very counter to who we are in our sinful nature and countercultural. Jesus, we, we look at this and we recognize how desperately we need you once again. And so again, Holy Spirit, I just pray <clears throat> that you would work in our hearts, do your work of transformation in our hearts and, and mold and shape us into, into Jesus' people. People who have a desire not only to, to seek Jesus for our repentance and salvation, but then to seek the spirit of Jesus in us to empower us to live these things out in our lives so that we might show the world your radical kingdom love. That kind of love that has the power to transform relationships. Lord, I pray for my friends this morning here. I pray for the husbands and the wives who need to practice this radical love in their relationship with one another. I pray for the brother and sister who are constantly bickering and fighting and seeking to get each other back. Lord, I pray that they would draw close to you and desire to live out your radical love for one another. I pray for us, Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we wrong one another in our fallenness, that we would lean back on you and your perfect love and that your spirit would empower us to not respond in retaliation, but to respond to our brothers and sisters in love, to bring unity and to show this world the power of Jesus Christ. God, we pray for your help in these areas, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.